Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences we're going to be at in Europe. Specifically, NDC happening June 12th through the 16th in Oslo, Norway. All the usual suspects will be there. Hey, and they even let us in. But don't hold that against them. No. Well, this is their big show, Richard, the original NDC. Yeah, which we've been going to for like eight years. That's right. We don't know exactly what we'll be doing yet. But you can expect a great panel discussion. Yeah, and of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making some great .NET rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to NDCOslo.com and register now. And save some money and register before March 17th for early bird pricing. And for more great NDC conferences, go to NDCConferences.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1413. With guests Jennifer Marsman, Evelina Gabasova, and Barbara Fushinka. Recorded Thursday, January 19th, 2017. And then there was much consternation. Much it, what? Much consternation. Are we speaking the same language? Uh, I think so. I love there, the Brits. Yes. Yeah, we are separated by a common language. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a boot in my car. I there don't care you what you say. Uh, it's great to be here in London at NDC. You guys having a good show? Yeah. yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's yeah, not bad. it was nice. Would you? What do you think of the food? Isn't it great? Yeah, they do. Uh, they do a great job. Carl's Ketogenic Diner. Oh, that was a surprise. That's really cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's neat. So we do this show live every once in a while, and we go to conferences like this one. And uh, but every show we do the same thing. We start with a little section that we call "Better Know Framework." Awesome. Roll the crazy music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, what I got is pretty cool. It's a tool that I just learned about. Uh, how many people use Bootstrap? How many oh, wow, I would lots of hands. say 60%, maybe yeah, 50%. Half the room. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that's probably all the web developers. Everybody else isn't doing web. Because right. if you're doing web stuff, you're probably using Bootstrap or you're going to soon. Well, there's a tool out there called Bootstrap Studio. Anybody use it? No hands. Awesome. Wow. I taught them something new. <laughs> that, that's a really good feeling. You feel good about that. All right. Well, Bootstrap Studio is at bootstrapstudio.io, and it's an IDE for, for web stuff that includes bootstrap themes. Nice. So you get this nice little graph down the left-hand side that shows you all your divs, and then you can change them up and apply styles. You get a live view. Uh, it's got a great HTML and JavaScript editor in it, but of course, it's a bootstrap thing. So it's great for visualizing and applying bootstrap themes. Cool. It's just a cool little tool. And, and there, I watched the five minute video that's right on the website and I was like, okay, I got to try that. Yeah. You at like least, that. At least got to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. Nice find. Yeah. That's what I found. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1250, which we did about a year ago, January 2016, with Barbara. Fusinka, mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about R, and this comment comes from Tim Houlihan. 
Okay. Who says, this is great to have a show on R. It's exciting to have it take off in the community and pick up some steam. I saw someone already clarified about Microsoft and R because the relationship's a little bit complicated. Right. And I would add another tweak. I think R is better with large data than folks assume. You just need to go beyond the basic data structures and packages. Data.table instead of data frames is a great place to start. And he provides a link on other techniques in parallelism at the WinVector blog. Uh, and I'll include that in the show notes. On a note in particular for Windows users, which is likely to be the case for this particular show, R makes strong use of vectors, matrices, and so on. And so it will use SIMD, that single instruction multiple data processor extensions, heavily. To do that, it links to a BLAST library. So that's a particular kind of library for for actually loading data properly for the processors. The default R build on Windows uses an implementation internal to the project, which does not take advantage of other cores. Mm. So it's only going to perform so well. And where Microsoft's R open links to a, an Intel MKL, which is better for parallelism. So for Windows users in particular, this can result in a significant speed gain to use that Microsoft R open version. On the Mac OS, the default build uses Atlas, an open source variant that will also parallelize SIMD instructions across cores. Little geeky. A little bit. But what it says to me really is, if you're having performance problems with R, don't just presume it's your code or the system. It might be the particular build you're using that's not actually utilizing machine all that well. Right, right. Uh, so, Tim, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We strap him to our boots for traction. Nice. So it's a little do. snowy outside. You so we might do. need some traction. Yeah, i got to pull my boots up on my bootstraps every once in a while. Okay, Anybody you're going to keep going there? Anybody see what I did? Uh, all right. <laughs> see what I did there? That's humor. That's what I saw right there. Well, this is a powerhouse panel of machine learning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very, we are both very, very happy to introduce these uh, three distinguished guests. Immediately to my left, uh, she's a machine learning researcher and a genuine bona fide PhD data scientist. It's Evelina Gavrasova. <laughs> Uh, and to her left, a developer evangelist for Microsoft and absolute brilliant data scientist and machine learning person is Jennifer Marsman. <laughs> Finally, uh, all the way to the left, uh, she's a software developer and an absolute R fanatic. I know, we, uh, we interviewed her before. It's Barbara Fushinka. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to do much talking, I guarantee, because we want to get these uh, ladies talking, and uh, I'm sure they're going to have a lot more to share than than our silly things. So I'm just going to let anybody start who wants to tell us about anything cool that they've noticed lately in the world of machine learning that uh, they think everybody ought to know right from the start. No, that, I'll pick. That, that was a horrible. Like, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Question, just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah that's that, like just not. That wasn't at all. a meatball. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, we can talk about the the talks that we're giving here at NDC London. That's a good idea. That would make sense. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. the whole area of machine learning is on fire right yeah, now. Yeah, machine learning. <laughs> go. Every, every hour, there's something yeah. new. <laughs> cool. Do you want to start with yours since you just All gave right. it? I just yeah. finished my talk yeah. basically okay. 20 yeah. minutes ago, and I was giving a talk on Stack Overflow actually, oh. on analyzing Stack Overflow data. Because it's a data set that you can actually download for yourself and play with that. And it's a very fun data set because I think everyone can relate to that. Sure. Because everyone uses Stack Overflow. 
So you can just download that. And I extracted some interesting insights from that. Like what? For example... John Skeet, it's the I, smartest person in the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, John Skeet messed up my data set quite a lot. <laughs> because he's an outlier in many ways. Oh, yes. Overflow. Many ways. How many expletives per hour? <laughs> <laughs> They have special ifs for John Skid and Stack Overflow, yeah. don't oh, they? Special right? ifs. <laughs> Basically, it seems that if John Skid replies to a question on Stack Overflow, he gets immediately upvoted and upvoted a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked at, for example, how when are people asking questions on Stack Overflow? Because if people are asking questions during the weekday, it means that's it's something they use at work. And if people are asking questions during the weekend, it means probably something that they use in their free time and for their hobby projects. So I devised something called like a weekend index where I looked at the ratio of weekend versus weekday questions. And then I could look at like most weekend and most weekend languages, for example. So the most weekend one was, uh, uh, which one was that? It was something for game development. Oh, it was Minecraft. Oh. Yeah, That's the most weekend thing that people ask on Stack Overflow. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. People ask more questions on weekends than during weekdays. In general? Um, yeah, uh, no, on, on Minecraft. Oh, on Minecraft. In general, yeah. people ask most questions on weekdays. Yeah. Right. And the most weekday thing people wouldn't play with in their free time was SQL Server reporting services. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's wonderful. <laughs> there are nobody, nobody's writing games for <laughs> SQL Server reporting <laughs> services. Surprising, right? Yeah. Are there any statistics that, um, rise, rose, uh, to the top? Any big outliers besides John Skeet? Maybe, um, I don't know, the most asked question or the most visited thread or something I like that. I didn't look at that. You can yeah, probably get that fun. from Stack Overflow you directly yeah. because you can click on a tag and it shows you the most questions for that tag, etc. Right. So that's not really interesting for um, a right. data science person. I really um, suck. Sorry. Feeling to suck right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, what were you talking about? I'm sorry. I'm giving two talks at NDC London. Uh, the first is tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. So we'll see if anybody comes after the party tonight. Uh, but what I, um, that one is using Azure machine learning. And what I did is I'm going to be bringing with me a headset that reads EEG. So it reads your brainwaves. Wow. And, um, I took that headset and I put it on my husband. <laughs> and I asked him a series of questions. <laughs> and first, I asked him to tell me the truth. And then I made him lie to me. <laughs> and what that gave me is a labeled data set of what his brainwaves look like when he's telling the truth and what they look like when he's lying. Jennifer, so, he loves you so much. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's quite obvious. Yes, he, he has really. to know. <laughs> Yes, yes. There's, there's no more lying in my house. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. there, um, so what I can do with that, that type of data is feed it into a, a machine learning classifier and uh, build a classifier that does uh, lie detection. So that's what I'm going to be talking about at nine o'clock tomorrow, and that will be fun. And then um, the second fun for you. <laughs> I feel it's so funny because uh, people tweet um, stuff about like about him all the time, and oh, I show sure. him, I show him the tweets of like all these people saying this poor man. Like I think he has a support <laughs> group out there. People like people have seen my talk and like really feel for him, and like there's this whole like community that cares about him. Um, and it's funny he's never seen the talk. He's never been to oh, wow. the thing, so it's kind of he's kinda seen funny. the data though, right? Yeah, oh, he's seen the data. He yeah. knows when yeah. he lies. Uh, so after yes. the talk, you will be asking yes. everyone, "Did you like the talk? Yes. Did you like the talk?" <laughs> <laughs> Put this headset on and let me see if you really like the talk. 
Uh, and then the second session I'm doing um, is a little bit later in the day tomorrow, and that one is on the Microsoft Cognitive Services. And that's, um, those are really, really incredible things if you haven't seen them yet, because basically, uh, there's a lot of, uh, pre-built models that Microsoft Research has come up with for, um, items that I would have, like, called artificial intelligence, like, 10 years ago, like, things like facial recognition and emotion detection and sentiment analysis on text and these things that were typically, you know, very easy for a two-year-old to do, but really hard for a machine to do. But uh, in essence, at this point, um, they're really not, you know, what people refer to as AI anymore, just because those are essentially solved problems in the machine learning world now. And so um, with, with these cognitive services, basically, it's just a REST call. So you can use whatever language you know, whatever framework, whatever you want to do, and just make a um, rest call. So like send a JPEG up and then get back. Here's the the bounding box of where, you know, my face is in that image. And here's the 27 different facial landmarks that represent the different places on the face. And here's uh, an estimated gender and an estimated age. And here's the, um, there's a Boolean on whether or not someone has a beard or mustache and other facial hair components. And there's even um, whether someone's wearing glasses is an enumeration, which actually it's a, it's a really funny enumeration. It's actually <laughs> uh, no glasses, um, reading glasses, which are just normal glasses sunglasses and then swim goggles there are swim goggles <laughs> in our training set so like if you have a use case where you need to know if someone is wearing swim goggles we got you covered is <laughs> <Nice>. frogman <laughs> I, I read somewhere quite some time ago this idea that artificial intelligence is what you call a technology that doesn't work yet yeah. <laughs> when it does work then it gets a new name it becomes you know uh, speech APIs yeah. and and uh, natural language interfaces and so forth. Yeah, well, well it doesn't of, work. It's artificial intelligence. It has. Yeah. E it definitely yeah. has evolved yeah. over time. It's sort of what people call intelligent. Like right. Fifty years ago, people were thinking, "Oh, when a machine plays chess, it will be intelligent." Right. Well, yeah. it can play Go now and still not intelligent. It's still well. not actually intelligent. <laughs> right. It's like ten right. years ago, uh, all the algorithms that were a little bit faster than when you try to brute force an algorithm mm -hmm. that is computationally, uh, you know, not effective, and all the like genetic algorithms, immunological algorithms, neural networks before we knew how to train them. Yeah, they were all said those are artificial intelligence. Right. Uh, just because they had like a piece of randomness so they were kind of heuristic uh, so if it's random then nature. it's intelligent yeah <laughs> uh, so barbara what what were you talking about so or i'll be also talking about azure ml but from like um you know um beginner point of view what machine learning really is how are like common misconception in that area and I'll be showing the tool itself. How does it work? What are the components? How you can build your own experiments? And then how to publish it and how to productionize it, uh, setting up an API and just use it in your production systems. You know, all those DevOps stuff that data scientists don't like to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It seems to me that machine learning is grossly overhyped right now. Like it's, it's almost hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, for me, as someone who creates a lot of shows, like I'm chasing case studies right now. And I, and I want like the most mundane, a totally normal mid band kind of company doing totally normal sorts of business. No unicorns, please, but ha getting some significant benefit because of this technology. But isn't this like with any technology? People oh, just absolutely. get crazy because it's new and interesting. And when you say intelligence, artificial robots, 
uh, just go crazy. And sometimes really doesn't matter if it does have a business. I mean, value. not that I want to encourage Gartner, <laughs> but their hype cycle is correct. Well, to be honest, I think part of the hype is just because of the naming. Because yeah. you hear artificial intelligence, deep, deep learning, learning. <laughs> dark right. knowledge. Cognitive yeah. services. <laughs> it sounds just amazing. But yeah. in the end, it's these are all just mathematical models. Yeah, right. you have mathematical models, a little bit of randomness, and yeah, there you go. I, I think a lot of the, the reason for the hype is just so much has been accomplished in like the last, you know, five to seven years uh, with kind of the you know, model or processors have sped up to the point and it's gotten cheaper to store data. So because of that, people have more data and we have more processing power that can, you know, things can run fast and we're running things on GPUs now and such. So there's things that are possible now that weren't possible before. And so you've seen that basically things like, um, you know, automatic language translation and facial recognition and, and some of these other things that have been, you know, really exciting ideas. The AlphaGo was huge. So with the kind of the, the, um, uptick in, in deep learning, that has really enabled a lot of really cool things in that last time, which has really made, I think, the field explode. But there are mundane things as well. I've seen the canonical example that is in the popular culture of, you know, your, your, your grocery store card, you know, when you use your, your savings card or whatever, then they can predict what you're going to maybe need. That's when you you know, your wife is pregnant because the diapers show up before she's actually told yep, you. Yup. Yup. That happened. Target. Yeah. Did you see, did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was an amazing article. How, uh, there was a, um, I think it was a even a, a younger girl. Right. Yeah, yeah, she was a teenager. teenager. Yeah, a teenager, and they started sending her congratulations uh, coupons, uh, coupons, and stuff like that. And the father got really, really mad and marched into that store and was like, "This is my daughter's like, you know, twelve years old. How are you?" And it turned out they were right. Yeah. And how is it possible that <laughs> that level of sophistication can work, and yet every time I buy something on Amazon, I see a coupon for it on Facebook. I just bought it. I don't need to buy it again. Go away. Is that the best you can do? Why is that? I mean, that doesn't seem intel uh, very intelligent to me. Well, tell that to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Facebook. Or Facebook. Yeah. 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 I have had the baby stuff show up at my place, too. And I, I two daughters. Uh, and the precision of it was remarkable in the sense of what they were saying. It's like, well, by now your baby's three months old, so you should really try this formula. We've sent you a sample. And I'm looking at my girls going... Anybody got a three-month-old? <laughs> let me know. I'd really like to know. Uh, it did. I never did anything about it because now I was just curious to see how long it's going to go for. It just eventually stopped. Okay. Uh, Are you hoping they will send you samples of normal food by the time yeah. the baby is <laughs> I didn't try any of it. I just collected yeah. it up. For me, it's entertaining to just sort of, okay, well, this is not working correctly. That's mm. artificial intelligence right there. I, you, I think it's more artificial dumbness, but well, that's, that's me. But there is a lot of confusion between what is artificial intelligence and what are hard-coded rules. Sure. Because this example with Facebook and Amazon is yeah. just, you know, cookies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just catching up your interest in that product, but don't get any information if you actually made the purchase. Right. So you are interested, so why don't we use it? But obviously, it's just a hard rule. It's not artificial intelligence. They must be keeping track of with the cookies, the stuff that I'm looking at, and then therefore be able to give me something a little more helpful than what I've just bought. You would think. Well, another thing with artificial intelligence or the whole machine learning thing, sometimes it's just cheaper to use a simple rule. Yes. 
rather right. than go into cr- spending months creating a complex machine learning system that will work, I know, 5% better. I have tormented a marketing director at a company by sending a message saying, I will be returning this product if you don't stop sending me ads. Yeah. Which is, I think, <laughs> write a better code. It is possible to fix this. But yeah, I tend to agree with you. It's just no machine learning involved in that. That's just cookies following you around. That's the creepy internet in action. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe someone is following the cookies. Yes, <laughs> maybe someone is. I have heard that Facebook really does know an awful lot about you, though. Uh, I, I, I saw a documentary where they were sitting in meetings, and just the insight they have into their users is, is pretty, pretty darn scary. I mean, this is just data collection. They're not even, I don't even know if they're doing anything with it, but at least nothing that I can see. They must be doing something with it, though. But there is also a difference between machine learning and actually, you know, doing SQL queries or queries. Mm-hmm. You have a data and you aggregate and get some information, count yeah. something you can, you can let you a long way. So, um, you don't necessarily have to do machine learning. When you want to use machine learning, it's, when you're predicting something for the future. And when you're just looking at the data of the person and saying, oh, this person shops a lot, that's not machine learning, right? Well, uh, if they're collecting data, that means they would be able to do, you know, predictive analytics on it. They, they would be able, yes, of course. Well, they want to predict what you will be looking at to show yeah. you that thing more and more and more. So you can always click on a post and say, okay, I want to see less of this. And this right. is you giving information to Facebook uh, to train their algorithm for you. What are, what's the, what are some of the most common things that businesses want to know from this, all this data they collect? Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> so many things. Uh, they want to know how they can earn more money. Yeah, that's basically right. <laughs> that's basically I, I mean, the th- question. <laughs> there are so many amazing data scientists that are working on advertising. And it's so frustrating to me because yeah. there are so many cool problems to solve in data oh, yeah. science. But there's so many brilliant minds just focused on advertising. How do we get more clicks? And that's that's really sad to me. But um, I think there's a lot of a lot of cool things that you can do that are just kind of the the less exciting, glamorous stories, but but still kind of cool. Like figuring out what inventory needs to be where, like being able to predict like retail cycles yeah. and how do I get things and you know to form more efficient routes and that sort of thing. So making predictions around what stock is going to be needed in what locations when those types of things. Um, uh, predictive so the, maintenance, yeah. for yeah. example. Predictive this, this is really uh, cool. Like. Uh, I currently also work for Microsoft and we are doing uh, stuff with Rolls-Royce and their fleet. So predicting if the plane will break or some parts of them will break and doing something about that beforehand, even like replacing the parts before they are going to break will save tons of money because you can imagine how much money they would spend if they have a flight planned and the plane cannot take off. So it's it's amazing how, well, just doing stuff, um, planning it, predicting when it's something will break will save you tons of money. Yeah, I, I was reading a piece about, uh, uh, I think it was United actually, that their predictive systems are good enough now that they're changing what the plane's being used for so that around the time that it's going to need the repair, it's nearby a repair depot. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to switch the routes for this particular plane so that it's flying back and forth from the repair depot until wow. we need to do the work. That's pretty smart. That's the predictive analytics part to me is really interesting. Like trying to figure out what our future sales are going to be based on historical data. 
because it's there's always going to be disruptors to the model. Like it, it, this doesn't seem to be that consistent. Right. Well, a lot of it then is just kind of looking at your data and seeing what what makes sense. Because as you said, you know, machine learning isn't magic. You, the what we're talking about right now is something called supervised machine learning. And with supervised machine learning, you just take you know a whole bunch of data that may influence the thing that you're trying to predict. And then you lay out kind of that data along with the the correct answer. So like for selling a house, here's various features, the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, the year, the number of years since the kitchen's been remodeled, whatever type of things may influence the price of that house and then the actual price. And then it just uses different types of math depending on what algorithm you're using. You may have heard us throw around a couple different terms like neural nets and there's Bayesian networks, there's decision trees, there's linear regression, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, and then using, that's just using different types of math to find the correlations between those features and that label that you're trying to predict. And so with that, uh, data, yeah, you can make predictions on anything that has something that, you know, you, we're, anywhere where you have data, interesting data, uh, you can make predictions. So back to your point, um, so I may have like maybe sales numbers for, um, uh, June, and perhaps those accurately predict my sales numbers for July. But maybe, let's say, it, I was trying to predict my sales numbers for December, and December, November is not going to reflect that accurately because it's maybe the the holidays and people sure. purchase more. You really so want to you could use the December previous, yeah, you could use the yeah. previous December, maybe a combination of that and last month or those kind of things to find trends. So a lot of it is just kind of really thinking about your data and making smart choices on how you um, label things or what data you use. But also, uh, when you're thinking about trends, I see it all the time when people are showing me uh, the graph, they are saying, well, my graph is going up, so here's the trends, for example, when you think about your sales. Mm -hmm. So, like, after three or four months, they make a conclusion, oh, great, so there is a trend, and I will become earn ma more and more money. And it's like, no, it's just been four months, and even if it was two years you don't know if you're not getting out of business the next month because right. some competitor comes in or like if you were in photography in 90s and then digital photography came in. There are some different factors that can, can just come in and you never know if you're gathering all the data that you need for the prediction. If all of a sudden another piece of data is uh, statistically significant. Right. right? And, and there's uncertainty so, around all of those things. And sometimes your data fits your model and everything very well, but it doesn't actually tell you anything about what's happening. Because there is actually a correlation between the number of storks and babies in place. Right. Because where there yeah. are more storks, there are more babies. So does it mean that storks bring babies? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would appear like that if you just looked at correlations, yeah. but yeah. it's just that they have nests in rural, or in uh, metropolitan yeah. areas and <laughs> chimneys. So the other one is that was great was ice cream and drownings. There's a correlation. Yeah. Yes. And what? If we yeah. don't want, we want to save people from drowning, we won't give them ice cream. Yeah. No, it's because there's a third factor, summer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, we run actually an internal contest at Microsoft in our machine learning group, um, which is find the funniest, like using that whole correlation, correlation. versus causation thing. Um, find basically the, the two funniest things that are, you know, seem like they're related, but are completely not. So. There is a very nice website doing that. Yeah. Like very, it's called something like Spurious Correlations. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it shows, I don't know, the number of deaths by drowning in a bathtub with number of 
of films with some actor. Yeah, yeah. it's very right. correlated. Yes, yes, we're very it's a high big trap we fall into. Yes. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, I must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time for me to predict the reaction to this joke. On a scale from one to hilarious, my algorithm predicts a value of uh, null reference exception. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bug. I got to fix this code. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, uh, it's actually time to give away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to code by is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet, and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. And find out how .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with music to code by. Check it out and get the whole 13-track collection for only $39 at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Rick Belchum. Hey, for Rick. Yeah. No golf clap. Real clap. Real clap for Rick. And uh, Rick just won the Music to Code by collection. That's a big pile of awesome. And basically, if you don't know what that is and what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And, of course, we like to ask our guests, too. We'll start with you, Evelina. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Well, I would probably buy some decent GPU machine to uh, play with some yeah. deep learning at home. Yeah, very good. Because, so, yeah, we have some, like, we have a university GPU cluster, which is fairly big, but, but a lot of people are using that, so there is a huge queue for that. And, of course, I can use some GPU machines on Azure or things like that. But, yeah, sometimes having something like that at home is more fun. The NVIDIA Titan cards, I mean, that's a lot of horsepower. You probably get three yeah. or four of those in one machine at a 1000 bucks a pop. Well, the rest for RAM. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and as much memory as you lay your hands yeah. on. Those are 8-gig cards. So, you know, and you'll when, have more memory in your video cards than you have in the machine. And when you're not <laughs> using it for crunching numbers, you can make Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jennifer? I want to steal her answer. I love. I want, to, I want a GPU machine too. That would be so awesome. Um, so awesome. We can share if anyone okay. gives us the there money. You there, there you go. go. That would be awesome. That'd be yeah. awesome. I mean, there's so many cool toys like that. That the EEG headset reader. I, the emotive. I, the emotive. Yeah. Um, I am a huge fan of of that. Uh, that's been so much fun to play with. And so there's other little toys. I've been playing with drones a little bit lately too, nice. and um, doing some facial recognitions with <laughs> no, drones. Wait, can you drones. fly the drone with your thoughts? Because that you, would be the I've, best. They they do. They had a race. They had a contest to actually do yeah. that. It's it's yeah. It's all right. Oh, I can send you that. That's not creepy article. at all. Yeah. yeah, I think it was using the emotive as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Headset. So I think an Intel sponsored it or something. But yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. The training process is they send the drone straight at you, and you have to concentrate hard. Yeah. For <laughs> These are not the drones you're looking for. <laughs> How about you, Barbara? Right. What would you uh, buy? I, I won't be original. I probably would spend it all on some cloud, yeah. preferably well. Azure, because just because. Well, you're, yeah, you're, uh, machine learning goes through plenty of uh, cloud resources. It's compute intensive. Well, actually, yes um, and no. It's not that uh, expensive when you think of money. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but if you're, well, how to put it? If you're not planning your resources wisely, mm. then uh, then it can go really expensive. But then when you think of big data and machine learning, which are two separate things, mm -hmm. then yes. 
big data, a lot of computing, and then it can go really yeah. wild. The other thing that I think people don't always think about when they're thinking about like the cost of machine learning is that there's kind of two separate parts of it. There's actually training your model. So that's the part that's usually going to be very expensive, right? Like you and need to process how, a lot of images to train your sure. model. Right. And so to to actually uh, do that up front and, and how often you need to retrain would depend on a lot of factors, how often your data changes and that sort of thing. And um, so... But if, if you can uh, kind of, if, if you have a fairly static data set or things that are kind of consistent over time, you could do kind of that training once, once or not that often. And then it, when it's just people calling a trained model, that's not, that's cheap. That's not How do you know when your model's trained? Good, good question. question. Yeah. <laughs> good question. <laughs> Depending if, you, if we're talking about supervised yeah. or unsupervised learning. If you have supervised learning, you have all the right answers. So you can just basically compare, oh, I was right, I wasn't right, right? Right. My model is performing very well. When you're thinking about unsupervised learning, it all depends. <laughs> well, with unsupervised learning, you are technically not training a model. Well, yeah. you can be, but it's sort of a model to describe the data. So you yeah, are not so predicting anything. So it's very hard to just put evaluation on that. So it discovered something. And can, can you tell if it was right or wrong? Or valuable. Yeah. Or valuable, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's always this aspect of, is this data actionable? Do, you know, okay, great, we found this correlation. Maybe it's causative. What do we do now, Batman? So that's, yeah. that's the question that very often businesses are not yeah. asking themselves. Right. And they should start with that. So we'll find some something. Mm -hmm. And we need to specify what are we trying to find. And then what? Yeah, right. it gets back to the correlation examples that were kind of funny. The The rules are, and correct me if I'm wrong, ladies, but it, it, correlation does not mean causation, but non-correlation means non-causation. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that always right? Yeah. yeah. So we're only proving negatives. Yeah. <laughs> well, but this was one of the points I was giving, doing in my talk. You should ask questions if you are doing any data yeah. science. Sure. And the more complex your data set is, the more you need questions to drive you. So it's really about a business saying, I want to change behavior and sort of walking through behaviors that matter. Like, where should we stock inventory? What pricing should we set? Where should we build a new store? What are the right. factors? What are right. the, the variables? Right. And I think, I think some of it too is you ask kind of these business questions, right? Sure. And then you have to almost translate that into a machine learning question. Into numbers. <laughs> yeah. Cause machine learning really answers a, a couple of different questions. It only answers like maybe like five questions. It can, it can quantify. So that's like a regression. So how much right. is this going to be? Um, is, is like a regression problem. Um, a classification problem is, you know, which of several buckets does this fit in? Mm -hmm. Um, the kind of clustering answers the question of, you know, what, what things are very similar to, um, or what, what are the groups or how do you divide everything into groups or what is, um, what things are similar to other things, that kind of question. So there's, there's only really a couple of key questions that machine learning answers. And sure. then you kind of take that business question and translate it into some of these, these machine learning questions. How do we get closer to causation? In other words, how do we find a really strong correlation? Is there actually a, a process that you go through, maybe try the opposite, the, the null hypothesis? That, what, what, is the, what is the best way to get the most accurate well, or I highest? collaborate quite a lot with biologists, and they are trying to tweak basically input parameters into the model. They are tweaking their biological model. They are doing experiments on cells yeah. and then trying to look at the, the effects. 
Right. So you can try to predict some, given some correlations, you might predict, okay, so maybe this gene is causing some reaction somewhere. So they try to knock out that gene and look at the effect. So with causation, you usually have to go into experiments. Yeah. Which in businesses, it's quite easy, actually. Right. If you are having an online store, you just change something for a customer and yeah. see the outcome. This but is A-B a- 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 testing, test, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah. first, you'd find a strong correlation with machine learning or predictive analytics. And you don't even have to use machine yeah. learning. No. There are just equations just and statistics. statistics. Yeah. Just write well, a where's R. the boundary between statistics and machine learning? Hmm. Yeah, I would say randomized elements, like usual when I think of it, but yeah. Um, sometimes I think it's I basically think the same thing, just I, two different communities and using slightly different I think, terminology. I think the terminology is just glorified statistics or glorified data mining very often. Yeah. And now it's cool. We call glorified it sounds like a good name, yet somehow seems derogatory. A little bit, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so... I do like this idea that we spend time with business sort of getting to core questions before we ever touch the data. Like, the, if you can't make it make sense on a whiteboard, it's not going to make sense inside of the computer. Right. Then you do have to somehow translate this into actionable uh, right. uh, options. And there's all these, like, how do you pick an algorithm? There's, there's what, 30 of them? In Azure Machine Learning, there's 25 right now, I think, that are available. Um, And not all algorithms are in Azure Machine Learning. Yes. And then there's a lot more than are just in Azure Machine Learning. (laughs) They only have um, like a single unsupervised one um, as well. So, um, I mean, it's a huge it depends question. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are actually some resources out there when you're trying to figure out what is the best machine learning algorithm to use. Um, there's, uh, um, like Python has a, has a cheat sheet, right. uh, that was put together. Azure Machine Learning also has a cheat sheet that kind of walks you through, okay, you know, what's kind of the size of your data set? How many features do you have? Like, if you have a ton of features, um, and SVM works really well, a support vector machine. Um, if you have, um, there's the case of, um, if you wanna, um, update your model frequently. So there are some models where you need to take the whole data set and build over the whole data set. And there's some where you can kind of have data streaming in and and it only really needs to use the updated data. Just and the deltas. Exactly. Um, and so you have to kind of think about that. How often do you want to update? So there's different uh, different types of math that are good for different things, essentially. Mm-hmm. It comes with the experience. It's like when you ask a web developer which framework well, that's, project they shows, but they, they yeah. would say their own and um, their their popular one or the one that the they know. The best framework is the one you know. Yeah. So I think if you had good results with a particular algorithm, you would tend towards that algorithm. But a lot of it depends on the data. Sure, like a lot of it is really like does does this data fit? A, a, like if it's linear, great because linear is super easy and super fast. And mm-hmm. you know if there's something that's a, a linear correlation, then okay, awesome, it's quick and easy. Um, but you know there's other things if that you know. There's just a lot of data that doesn't fit to a, a linear. Yeah, but the platform thing, like you can have that in machine learning as well, because well, I did my PhD in Bayesian machine learning, right? So that's kind of a one platform where you can do machine learning, and it has its own its own set of algorithms, and it has its own versions of some of the other standard algorithms. And then you can have like standard machine learning that's more frequentist, which is sort of a statistics term mm-hmm. and these are like two different words to explain that <laughs> frequentists 
Well, if you are a frequentist, you are a standard statistician. You compute means and standard variations, things like that. Deviations. Yeah, exactly. And if you are a Bayesian, you just treat everything as an uncertain random variable. And you can sort of predict what value it will have and what distribution it will have. It's quite a lot of statistical terms. There's going to be a quiz <laughs> at the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and getting back to Azure Machine Learning in particular, uh, do, can you use any of the Azure data sources, data lakes, or any of the other ones, SQL, as, a, as an input? Not to any, but most of them. So not all of them have, um, there's ways to just upload data. So if you have like CSVs and certain things. And yeah. so there's a couple different formats that are sele uh, available for upload. And then there's other ones that you can stream. And so uh, there are some cases where you might need to uh, shift your data a little or put it into blob storage first and then pull it from blob. So it's not 100% pull it from anything yet, but there's a lot of workarounds for things where it's not. Because um, if, you're, if you're looking at big data, and that's another loaded term, that, you know, everybody thinks their data is big, right? But uh, if you're looking at enormously large data sets that might be in a data lake or something, mm -hmm. uh, is there, there isn't a way to directly access that data? Does it have to be imported? I think data lake is supported, but there are limitations on the size uh, when you uh, have a training data set uh, in Azure ML. I think it's 10 gigabytes. Okay. Uh, but if you if you really want to work on the big data, there is always there is always Hadoop. Hadoop, yeah, yeah. Hadoop has a in the Hadoop ecosystem has a machine learning library. Yeah. Tons That's of them, very, yeah. including like um, there is our server at the moment on Spark clusters, and That's then you fun. can just. And what is big in that scenario? Well, oh. whatever fits in your Azure uh, data, yeah. right? Yeah. It depends. So, the answer is always depends. It depends. Yeah. So. But you know, data lake on Azure is uh, in theory. Unlimited. I got right. a, I got so, a coupon yeah. sent to me for depends. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. So I I use big. I mean the the definition or the quote unquote thing for for is the the three V's. Have you heard about the three V's for big data? Okay, so let me see if I can remember them now. But um, part of it is just sheer volume, right? right? So how big it is. So the the volume of data matters. But other things that matter are um the the velocity. So some things are quant are classified as big data problems just from how fast that data is coming sure. in. So if you want to have a streaming scenario where you have a bunch of data coming in real fast and you want to do process, some of those are considered big data scenarios. So volume, velocity, and then the third one is uh, I think variety, variety. So variety is um I have multiple different sources of data and I want to mash up a bunch of stuff together um, to be able to do something intelligent with it. So think about trying to predict um, uh, who's get, like a, a, a sp the sports ball. <laughs> okay. Some some team, two teams are playing against each other and you want to um, predict who's who's going to win. And so if it's an outdoor sport, maybe you're predicting, uh, you, you pull in weather data and then you're using past history of the team, um, individual statistics as well as... Um, you know, team statistics, you may be pulling in um, information about like um, just similar teams in the past. Uh, it could be who won last year because I know like, you know, Michigan and Ohio State is a really big rivalry uh, in the U.S. Um, uh, in college football. And so if, uh, let's say, Ohio State won last year, then Michigan's going to come back with a vengeance and be even more motivated to win the following year, those types of things. So there's just so much data that you'd want to pull in together to accurately make predictions. Mm hmm are they doing this in the stock market as well? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. That's all we're going to say? <laughs> Actually, that's one of the things people ask uh, a lot. Like, what are, what are some of the scary things about 
artificial intelligence and machine learning and stuff. And I'm, I'm actually less concerned about robot overlords and more concerned about, um, somebody just doing something really dumb, like, you know, predicting the stock market and then, uh, open sourcing it, sharing with everyone, everybody bets and just crashing the stock market and just completely like obliterating. Giving like, the red yeah. button to everyone. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's people doing stupid things with the current technologies. Well, for example, there was a paper by some Chinese scientists, I think. They published a deep learning algorithm that tries to predict if you are a criminal or not from your facial yeah. features. Oh. Yes. Oh. And, it, and it's not a good application. And no. it, it actually yeah. was like proven uh, that it has 83% of accuracy. Ah. But you, you have to think of the, quotes. well, yeah. I, I don't know the details. That's why I'm right. using air enough. quotes, but yeah. <laughs> you just need to think about all the biases that would be inherent in your data. Sure, so right. if a certain group of people was more frequently arrested based on other human biases, then, and you have the data set that you're feeding in is like all the people that look like this tend to be criminals and that's the data you're giving it, then it's going to predict that any future people that look like that may be criminals. And that's just, you always have to think about what bias is in your data. And yeah, it might be just that, that they took pictures of people in prison and in prison they get bus cut. So it's predicting actually, okay, this guy has a bus cut, so he'll be probably right. a criminal. Your hair is <laughs> yeah. short, so you must be a criminal. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> wow, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> how how much of the time that you spend as data scientists, how, what percentage of the time that you're working is on cleaning data? Oh Most gosh. of the time. Yeah. Most of the yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Wow. For sure. That's the dark it, secret of it, machine shaving, learning. Shaving, yeah. It's like, yeah, at da least daily job. At least 80. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And it, removing outliers, that kind of thing? Uh, taking out Or just getting data into reasonable shape. Yeah. yeah. Outliers are the pleasant part, I would okay. say. Yeah. You want to keep those because in Because if you are looking at outliers, that means your data are in a shape where you can actually yeah. detect outliers. And it's right. like right. you're okay. finding out something about your data. So, so it's, it's not it's a, like the yeah. next stage. Is it an outlier or is it wrong? Yeah. yeah. Just errors. Or is right. it John Skeet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's John Skeet. Yeah. Back in the 90s, I was uh, doing the data warehousing thing. We spent a lot of time cleaning. You know, this was the extract transform load to try and do these sorts of things. And now they say, don't do that anymore. Like data warehouse is obsolete. It's not that obsolete. Mm -hmm. People think it's obsolete because, you know, data lake concept just popped right. in. And data lake concept is for something else. And people are actually using it as a, like a staging area, mm -hmm. then cleans the data using all of the techniques and load it into the data warehouse because it's a useful tool. Okay. It's just back then we didn't know any better. Yeah. Well, but it has its usage very often. We were more resource constrained back then, right? Like you, a lot of the whole ETL was about getting the data into shape so we could query it quickly. And we only had so much compute. Like part of me is just like, well, we've got the cloud and I know we're paying by the hour, but you know, you can get a lot of stuff in an hour if you really try hard. There are a lot of services too. There, there's a few services that actually clean data, right? And Melissa data comes to mind, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. They have tools that you can, that you can use to, uh, Validate addresses. Yeah, validate addresses and make sure that the, everything's in the right format. Yeah, do you use any well, of those? Well, this is for regular data, but the, some of the things or artifacts that appear in data have the problem that they are not regular. So you can't actually predict them and just use a tool to do that. So in other words, they're just numbers. Yeah. But the, yeah. Yeah. But the, how do you, how do you clean, how do you know that when you look at a number that that's wrong? 
Exactly. Well, yeah. you, have to, the you have to visualize She's everything. Like, with these yeah. hands and these eyes. <laughs> well, and I work a lot with genomic data. Yeah. And that's like, how do I know that this is correct? GCT yeah. X. What is this? X. Uh, <laughs> well, you can get ants in there, which means it wasn't read properly. Okay. Yeah. Um, another big area right now, uh, talking about like kind of the, some of this unstructured text is just like text, just like a whole, just massive logs of text. So you have all this text and how can I extract something useful out of it? So think about like all of the support logs that your company might have or all of the, um, uh, mining Twitter data. And so I have all of this Twitter data about what people are saying about my company and just being able to extract insights from that. So there's uh, a lot of techniques for doing those hmm. types of things as well. Yeah. Users in inputting data are the evilest creatures in the world, aren't yes. they? <laughs> they will do anything, you know? Oh, here's Bobby Tables. He's at it again. <laughs> yeah. And then you want make a survey and they just don't fill it, right? Right. right. Or they fill it with crazy crazy things <laughs> well sometimes that your data is missing it's also a data point for itself mm -hmm. yeah so that's for example right. if you ask people how much do they earn they it's answer. usually the highest bracket and the lowest bracket that won't tell you oh. right <laughs> so that's a data point in itself so, so from the other answers well, you could guess which yeah, one it is yeah. right <laughs> well in statistics there are a lot of concepts like missing data at random or missing data not at random or completely at random and these are different types of missing data and you have to treat them completely differently. Interesting. Is is there automation around applying those kind of statistical techniques so that you can see that you know there's intentional data removal, that that sort of intentional distortion? There is an automation around everything. Right. Usually in R, if it's about statistics, it's in there. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's just a command. You just have to learn how to use yes. it. You just have to write it. Someone wrote it, definitely. Right. So. <laughs> it's been. It's you been have to done. look for it. Well, and I, I mean, I'm fascinated by this whole, you can sort of see the truth in data because you will get some standard distributions and so forth. And when they're not there, there better be a very good reason why the data is shaped that way. Yeah. Some, well, sometimes it's up to you to decide, okay, is this actually an artifact in the data? Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Should I put it in there? Should I leave it there? Should that I take it out? makes you a very powerful person. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> I mean, you, you basically can decide what is that? Is that real? Is that not? Yeah, and sometimes yeah. like people split data into brackets and predict something else for like one bracket, something else for another. Mm -hmm. uh, you bring up an interesting point, which is that there really are a lot of like just ethical questions around sure. machine learning and application. Of I this do own a book data. called How to Lie with Statistics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. There's so many different things you can do. So I think just being kind of hyper aware of what biases are in your data and what assumptions you're making. And that sort of thing is... This only matters if we take this data and try to act on it in a way to benefit our business or whatever we we're, we happen to be doing on and do it wrong. Or try to claim, this is what I see over and over again in studies, um, and I've been looking at a lot of them lately, is in especially medical studies, people assume causation because of a strong correlation and it, it's just not true. And another, an, another great example of that is whenever there's a murder, there's always police around. So if we want to decrease murders, we'll just get rid of the police. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this is very dangerous in a way because I think in the U.S. it works in some cities where they are looking at areas where there's a lot of crime so yeah. that they can send more police officers there. Right. right. 
But and this is sort of perpetuating self-fulfilling the, prophecy. Yeah, yeah. 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 You because have a lot of police there and they're required to find crime, so yeah. they'll so find So they will crime. find more crimes yeah. there. Yeah. So there will be more policemen there yeah. And, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And other areas where there are not that many policemen, they can have crime as well, but it doesn't get reported as much. Right. So I can give you a real yeah. example of a failing here, and that is that uh, the current medical establishment sees type 2 diabetes as being caused by obesity. And in fact, there's a third factor that causes them both, and that's metabolic syndrome. And that's been proven. And yet still, because of the whole industry is based on the assumption that one causes the other, they're still acting in, in prescribing things as if that was the case. So even in the case of real mm-hmm. science, doesn't necessarily change behavior. Yeah, it's a good example. Of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, making getting to certainty well there's never completely certainty right you guys are going to be it depends for forever (laughs) well uh, sometimes people are claiming certainty but then you should be really really yes that's a clear sign that they are wrong it's it's clear proof that they are wrong yeah Yeah. a strong correlation doesn't make cause and this is what i had to learn a strong correlation doesn't mean causation but non-correlation definitely means non-causation so then you have to keep looking but the only way to really tell causation is a randomized controlled trial isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's sort of the holy grail. Well, you can approximate it mathematically through some tools, but yeah, you have to do experiments to actually prove anything. Yeah. Yep. Well, and in machine learning terms, don't trust anyone who tells you they have 100% accuracy. Yeah. yeah. Ah, <laughs> that's a good advice. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I was doing the lie detection experiment, like one of my one of my early runs, I got 100% accuracy and I'm like what did I do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> there's obviously a bug here. Right. <laughs> obviously a bug here because there's no way it would be uh, that that simple. And so it was funny because I actually had a, um, a a time variable in there and I had asked him all of the truth questions first and then all a bunch of lie questions. And so it found that time variable and, you know, think of a decision tree just saying something like basically, if the time is before here, it's the truth. If the time <laughs> is after there, it's a lie. Easy. Done. 100% accuracy. It's like, oh gosh. And went and pulled out that feature and was like, oh, that was really stupid. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I should not have been in there. Easy to do. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Another yeah. another example is like with breath, uh, breast cancer, which is like in a couple of percent. And if you have a very stupid rule in your classifier that just classifies every x-ray that it doesn't have cancer right yeah. it will have a very high accuracy that it it's will like be a very rubbish of the time it's right yeah it's it's a rubbish classifier yeah so so that gets back to intuition knowing what data to chuck out and cleaning and you know why that's really important. not just that there are just different factors that you can measure that will show you different things but if you only think of how of the percentage how many times you are right, which is accuracy definition, is just too less it, to it, make any conclusions. It leads well, to if you are a Bayesian, you put in a variable that has a prior probability of having breast cancer, which will tell you the frequency yeah, that's and population. That's, yeah. that's true. And then you are safe. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. A lot of times in machine learning, there's, there's a number of different factors you can use um, as opposed to just using accuracy. There's things like precision and recall and F1 score. And these things can help you make sure these are things that are... Um, will extrapolate and scale well and not you're not just overfitting your your training data. And that's particularly with neural nets. You keep running the same set of training data, and then if you test against that data, you're always going to get it right. But right. you go well, out into in, the world. Yeah, not just neural nets, but in, in general. Really? In supervised yeah. learning. Yeah, that, yeah. That, can, that can happen. But it's, yes. 
overfitting. Point. Yes, overfitting, yeah. overfitting, where you're really focused on your your training data. Because it's it's funny. There's a um there's a website called Kaggle. Does anyone know Kaggle? Mm-hmm. It's K A G G L E. It's a great site. If you guys want to get into machine learning, it's a great place to start because one of the the two things you need to do to solve a cool machine learning problem are you need a problem to solve, right? And you need data to solve it with. And Kaggle gives you both of those things. So it's this great thing where actually companies can go and put their business problems up there. And important point, they yes. clean the data up. Like, before they they yeah, so it. you only get the, the fun data. stuff. Yeah, so you get this like beautiful data set and like this problem to solve. And then you can just play with machine learning algorithms and, and really focus your skills and refine. So it's a really, and it's a competition. So there's there's cash awards associated with some. There's jobs associated yeah, with other ones, which are nice. Recruitment like Yelp. Stuff. Yeah, Yelp had a, a, you could win a job at Yelp, a data scientist job at Yelp for when he's, but it's funny because usually there's a leaderboard. Um, During these competitions, there's a leaderboard. So you can see, you know, who's coming in first. And everyone has the same training set, right? So they they have um, the training set available for the length of the competition. And then you could submit and it's using, I think, a different data set for that. But then after the contest closes, they run everything again on a, a still different data set. Wow. And so it's really funny because usually whoever had the number one spot um, during the competition, like as it went, had some measure of overfitting in there and who would actually win once a different data set was applied to that that same algorithm um would win so you'd see like number 10 jumping up to number one or number 35 jumping up to number one wow. and actually winning the the contest just so not overfitting. in the top just top five like yeah most of the top 10 is overfitted it's like when you're really attached to something mm-hmm. uh, the knowledge and the, the way that you're getting used to this data set getting know your data set it's, it's kind of leaking into your model yeah so there is always some degree of overfit. Yeah, the thing is you are not overfitting to the training data only, but you are overfitting to the validation data yeah. that's used to create the leaderboard. Right. Because you make changes to the algorithm to get up in the leaderboard. So the leaderboard is causing distortions. Yes. People's need to be higher on that board. <laughs> Gamification, actually, yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah. Gamification working against yeah. successful results, yeah. which I think is very interesting. That's interesting, and, and it's telling for the real world. But in, in Kaggle, do you get, I mean, I would go there because I know nothing about this except what I hear from you guys. It, would I go there and be expect to n- get some sense of what algorithms I would use and what particular data sets? So they have a, a great community available. So you can post questions about specific challenges. So there's a lot of like um, people wow. who are new to machine learning who um, who will ask questions on the forums and people are really nice and help each other out, you know, to a certain point. And yeah. there are even people who post scripts um, like here, try this thing and, and we'll give some of them. Usually you hold back your secret sauce, yeah. but um, people uh, people will give some, some tips to others. And then after uh, the contest closes, um, they do a blog post with the winners showing, okay, here's the algorithm I used, and they kind of talk through okay. um, what they what they did and how they how they won and what kind of things they were thinking about, which is always really interesting. We right. did do a show on Kaggle. Yeah, we had we the did. guys out. Yeah. That's right. And another thing, they have some sample data sets that are fairly easy and to play with, and they have example scripts for all different algorithms to run it on that data set. So that you can like sort of learn machine learning through that. That sounds awesome. like a you can predict who will survive the, the Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> That's one of the talks that I yeah. give all the oh, time. Wow. Is using the Kaggle data set predict who's going to survive the Titanic. Is it accurate? Yeah, I, yeah. I use uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet data, ah. and it totally <laughs> works on that. <laughs> well, no, you, uh, can, you can get fairly high accuracy because it's a very simple data set, right? It's people, women are more likely to survive than men, and uh, first class more likely to survive class, than steerage. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, well, Evelina. And Jennifer and Barbara, thank you very much. It's been a great hour, and you guys are just amazing. Keep doing what you do, and thank you very much for being here. Big round of applause. And hey, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks!
.NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.